down in the trenches Expensive bands cover my lenses Seek my defenses every time I repeat my repentance Looking for dollars but seeking my senses From drinks to benches But checking receipts for my expenses the Welcome to Conversation Coliseum Where the Coliseum contains nothing but conversation Anyways, I am Joseph I come straight out of the Boogie Down Bronx Straight out of Highbridge You already know Podcast and other smooth and chill vibe Ayo, what up? My name is Alex I go by the name of Alex Villafana Coming straight out the Boogie Down Bronx, New York City Hip-hop artist and producer And welcome to Conversation Coliseum And my name is Jose I'm from Parts Unknown And I still don't know what I'm making next week uh, I was lucky enough to make it this second time So let's see what happens Welcome to Conversation Coliseum, where it is a coliseum of conversation. This episode in particular is very, very, very close to my heart because I have a special guest, just like I've been promising you guys and just how we've been promising you guys for some time now. This special guest had me on her podcast, which I appreciate from the bottom of my heart because it gave me a little bit of experience. I had a lot of fun doing it. I had a lot of fun talking to her. Very, very close very close friend of mine, Miss Mark. She also has a dope, dope podcast that I'll let her tell you about. So, you know, Marjorie, um, if you want to take it from there, you can introduce yourself, tell um, everybody that listens in about your podcast. Uh, hi, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Marjorie. I am a teacher and I have been just talking to other teachers about what it's been like to teach through COVID. So uh, that's basically what it's about this season. Um, Moving forward, hopefully we get past the pandemic and we'll talk about other things. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank thank you for coming on. Thank you for coming on. And thank you for um, giving me my first opportunity at um, at at being on a podcast. Because I think, um, yeah, I think I was on your podcast first before um coming i think before coming on to mine so you know it gave me a little bit of a little bit of leeway a little bit of experience there so thank you um it is hot at the time of recording this (laughs) like it's i think today hit like 85 or something like that um when i was at work it was just hot windows all open yeah, it's pretty bad. It's uh, I've been feeling it. Like and I've been holding back um putting it on because it's like now it's like you just finished paying all the extra heating costs for winter and now it's like it's it's almost summer so you're trying to hold off on the AC but it's getting unbearable. Yeah, it's 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 getting a little bit unbearable and um this Sunday's supposed to be 90, so I don't know how much longer I could bear it. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not ready for 90 degree weather. Mm-mm, mm-mm. My, my skin isn't ready um i'm not ready uh i think my car is ready i think i have enough freon to to last me that during the summer but we'll see we'll that's do. the worst there's nothing like the summer in a car with a messed up ac i've gone through that that is the absolute worst it's the worst you know what's even worse than that going like the first hot day the very very first hot day of summer and you turn on your AC and it spits hot air. That is the worst. We've all been there. We've been there. Yeah. And it's just like, damn, like, it's like, okay, do I go get it and postpone my plans? Or do I just say, okay, windows down? 
and then just drive the entire way where I have to go. Because for me, that happened to me once and I was on my way to work and it was 85 degrees. And this is when I used to work for a bank and I was in a suit. Not, not a fun time. And my dry cleaner had a very, very nice bill. Yeah, it's um, I remember uh, counting my blessings like a few years back. Uh, being in a classroom with no AC and by the end of the day you're just so gross and just getting home and getting in the shower and being like you know what everything might not be perfect but I have indoor plumbing and I'm be- I'm able to get in the shower right now because it is unbearable to be in a school building in a uh-huh. small room with a bunch of people uh-huh. and it's hot oh it's awful yeah tempers Tempers will be up there with this heat, especially like in a hot clap. Mm. I, I feel it now. I feel it in my skin right now. <laughs> oh, man, it's it, it, it it's going to get better, though. It's going to get better. It's going to be a lot more breezier, hopefully. Um, and in other words, you know, and other hopeful aspects, one of the first topics that um, we're going to talk about today is the housing market deficit. During COVID, there was a housing market boom. And now with every up comes a down. Like the movie Up by Disney, right? Not a sponsorship or nothing like that, but the house went up and but it came Disney, right back down. Listening sponsor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Disney, if you're listening, you know, this mic I got and this computer, the mic is perfect, but this computer ain't it, Disney. So just just a just a heads up. Um, but, um, yeah, so with, you know, what comes up, got to come down and not going to lie. It's a seller's market, um, in the sense of they could price it at whatever they want because there's very little out there right now. And what's out there is at, um, how do I say this nicely? Astronomical prices. Um, and I'm speaking on the tri-state area. Um, housing market deficit. Um, I know I, we have international listeners as well, and we have listeners all throughout um, the 50 states. So, you know, it varies per state, but I'm speaking on behalf of the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, those who aren't familiar with it. Um, during COVID, there was a huge boom of people wanting to move, understandably, from crowded cities such as um, New York, and New Jersey and certain parts of Connecticut. Um, and I totally understand because coming from New York City, I'm a city kid at heart, still am a city kid at heart. It's crowded. And during COVID, I remember during COVID walking around 42nd Street and it was a ghost town. Like you, would, you wouldn't see a crackhead like rolling down the street as a tumbleweed. No, you legit saw a tumbleweed go down 42nd Street. Which is, which is wild for 42nd Street. Uh-huh. For, for those international listeners that have never been to Times Square, that's where we're talking about when we were referring to 42nd Street. Um, Times Square is a tourist attraction. If you haven't been there, um, highly recommend it, but I'm going to rate it a 5 out of 10. <laughs> um, I just highly recommend it because there's so much to do there. But I'm giving it a five out of ten because it's always crowded. Because you're a New Yorker, and we as New Yorkers don't <laughs> actually go to these places. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Us as New Yorkers, we avoid Times Square at all costs, at all costs, unless like 
like there's something special going on. Like they have a lot of street fairs there, a lot of street fairs, a lot of like diverse food. Um, so if you want to try something out, um, just Google it. Uh, they have like food trucks. They're always there. Um, definitely recommend trying a gyro from 42nd street, a gyro from 42nd street. I remember, um, walking from some bar on 40th walk to 42nd street drunk and had a gyro. Oh my God. To die for, to die for. It was like, I had it from Queens. It was so good. So the gyros 42nd street, nine out of 10, 42nd street times square overall, <laughs> five out of 10, you are a very generous New Yorker giving it a five out of ten. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. I'm I'm trying to be nice. Very, very I'm really, really trying to be nice. But um <laughs> going to the housing market deficit, it's just like we all moved out of New York, New Jersey, and certain parts of Connecticut. Um speaking from like your experience and stuff and stuff like that, like what have you noticed about um this current housing market deficit? Because I'm pretty sure you've you noticed the sharp incline and the very sharp decline of what, maybe like a year of just houses being up and now they're going down. Yeah. So, um, I'm, so I should start by saying that I am not a real estate agent or, or a real estate investor or any of that. I'm just a, I am a, an American, um, of a certain age. I'm an older sort of millennial. Um, I'm in my mid thirties and I'm just, a working person in America trying to figure out how to live. Um, and so I was in the housing market like two years ago. So I went through all that and I saw uh, such a turn between that time and now in the area where I live. So I live in, um, I live in Orange County, New York. So about an hour and 15 minutes away from the city. And just, it's astronomical. Like looking at the prices, how they were two years ago, what you could get for your money and what they're asking for now. And even then, then it was it was stressful. It was like bidding wars. It was getting, uh, you know, getting outbid by cash offers, which is... Um, which is synonymous with having a corporation right in the back end buying these things cash because they have cash for that. They have our cash for that. Um, and uh-huh. and it has bothered me. It has bothered me so much. And so I decided to, like, look into it, like what what is going on? What what is happening? What is it? And I I I just I discovered things that. I sort of knew, but it became more clear, right? So what I learned is that what we already knew is that in 2008, when the housing market collapsed, um, people were thrown out of their homes. There was the big bailout that the banks caused. And then what they did is they got all this money from us, the, the very people who lost their homes, right? And they bought up all that inventory, Um, so, so, but they didn't buy it to sell it. They bought it to rent it. So now they have all these rental properties. So that was bad enough, Mm -hmm. right? They, that, that screwed up the supply demand dynamic. So that's why there's such a, there's been such a crunch. Now what I found out, um, is that they are buying up the new constructions as well. 
So there's no inventory of houses that were already foreclosed. And now the inventory of new homes, which was delayed because of COVID, obviously also. So that puts a crunch on the, on the supply. But there, there are builders that are selling entire subdivisions, entire um entire basically blocks and and neighborhoods of residential housing to these corporations who then rent it. They're not even trying to sell it to the regular people. Right. So I'm like, what are we? And these are not, I should clarify. These are not like a, like apartment buildings. Cause that's been going on since forever, particularly in New York where these people, foreign investors, they will park their money in New York city real estate because it just goes up and up and up. Um, this is these are single family homes that are now just lost to the rest of us. And I just the more I think about it, it's like it grinds my gears. It's like there's nothing. I feel like the level of selfishness and, and the the just the way that the elites and, and the the people in power, the way that they're going along is like they're not giving us any breathing room, like owning a home was pretty much the only way a regular person, right, could could accumulate wealth. And now they're taking that away from us, too. So I'm, I'm really upset about that because I'm like, what are we supposed to do? What are we working for here? What, what are we doing? What, what is the purpose? We're just going to we're, we're working down to the bone with nothing to show for it because we're subsidizing the rich. Yep. I I agree 100,000%. And just like an interesting stat to back up everything you're saying, right? According to the Wall Street Journal, as of da, 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 um, April 15th, so this is pretty recent, right? About a month ago, right? The U.S. housing market is 3.8 million single-family homes short of what is needed to meet the country's demand, Right? The estimate, the estimate represents a 52% raise in the nation's home shortage compared with 2018. So right there just adamantly expresses that it's almost four, the U.S. needs about 4 million homes more than what's already out there. That's insane. Like It's it, completely it, insane. And what's even more insane, right, is that we have, we already have, a lot of people who are facing uh, home insecurity. And we definitely have even more people now, right, given the pandemic and the economic aftermath of that. And for so long, we were made to think, oh, we just need to build more homes, right? Like, it's just because there's too many people, there's low inventory, but they're buying up the new construction. So I'm just like, and a lot of these, a lot of these, Homes, right, at, at least in, in like the big markets like New York City, right, that it's a lot of money laundering, really. These places are vacant. So we have homeless people and we have vacant places in America and we can't we can't come up with a fair way for people to get housing. That to me is disgusting. Yep. Yep. And you, you want to know what they're really, really doing? So what they're doing is. Um, from, I'm just speaking from experience as to like where I used to live, when people move out of where they're renting, what the state does, um, is that they divide up the house, divide up the housing. You know, if you have like a two bedroom, they'll make it a three. If you have a three bedroom, they'll make it into a four. They'll 
house homeless people into these houses, which I'm gonna be I'm gonna be very blunt here. I don't find anything wrong with that besides this. The owners of that building get about like a thousand six hundred thousand seven hundred for each person living there. I understand the figurative language of um, people are dollar signs because this is uh, an example of it. Uh, it uh, in my opinion, a disgusting example of how capitalistic um, America can be. Because again, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with housing the homeless, but this isn't how we're going to go about it. Right? right. Because it's not, it's not getting at the root of the problem. It's not like they're finding, long-term affordable housing by and large for these people this is a band-aid right this isn't solving the problem it's just making certain people more money at first i don't even think it's a band-aid i think it's like when you go to the nurse in the school and they just give you an ice pack they fuck us over with it <laughs> they'll be like oh yeah give me a hundred dollars and they'll sell us that same hundred dollar bill for four hundred dollars and we buy it that's so he, the thing. So this is this is what's really what's really insidious about this, right? Is mm-hmm. that now they're not even selling it. Like this is the thing. Like they're not even flipping it, which is already like awful, right? But they're not even doing that. They're like, why sell it? We can let it appreciate while mm-hmm. having tenants and being really terrible landlords. <laughs> and you know, the We'll have tenants. We know for sure. You know why? Because there's no inventory. People can't buy homes. So it's it's a it's just it's all round great business for them. And the American people get screwed. Yep. It and it sucks. It really, really, really genuinely sucks. And me as um a young potential home buyer, I'm really I'm just discouraged because it's just like, you know. All right, yeah, the housing boom happened last year, but I wasn't ready. Um, I know many, many people that weren't ready, right? And now it's just like, here's this sharp decline. And now it's like, okay, um, when's going to be my time? And stuff. You know, You're I'm- talking to a millennial, so you don't even know. Like, I came, <laughs> I graduated from college. I'm going to date myself here. I graduated from college in 2007. 2008, the economy implodes. It's like, we're like the most, my generation is the most unlucky generation. It's not even luck. These are decisions that older generations have made to fuck us. <laughs> and then we were, we're left holding, we're left holding the bag. And it's, it's really discouraging. And I feel for, for younger people than than me right because it's like the way i feel is what am i working for and i can only imagine what younger people feel like what am i because at least i already went through this once right like i've gone through two crises (laughs) right like three because i was a teenager um i was in 11th grade when 9 11 happened right so that defined my generation yeah then right when we're like coming out of college going into the workforce 2008 happened. Then now we're like, okay, we're finally catching up. We might be able to make some gains, right? COVID happens. So it's like, I don't, what is motivating us, right? Like, how can we, how do we face life and think, I'm going to move forward and I'm going to do this and I'm going to quote unquote chase this American dream? What dream? 
there's nothing here like from from housing to to the to the job market to all these catastrophes happen it's really the psychological toll that this is taking on people is astronomical and it bothers me that to these institutions this is just money these are people's lives mhm yep these are these are definitely people's lives and it needs to change and it needs to change ASAP. Um, me personally, um, I totally agree with you. And I also agree with this fact. You hear that, geezers? You messed it up for us. It's okay, though. We make do with what we have. But you still messed it up for us, you geezers. I'm going to say that out loud. <laughs> I'm going to say that. Yeah, no, because it's, you know, it's facts. Like, you know... I have I, my students know like I I rail on on the boomers all the time and the Gen Xers because my beef is you benefited from a booming America that took care of its people, not all its people, because we have to be historically accurate. But by and large, there was the idea that the government was there for a reason. Right. There were there were things that the government should do for its people they benefited from that and then they took that away from other people they took that away from from future generations and and that's 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 not okay that's fucked up like i can't be more i can't be more eloquent apologies but it's fucked up it's like you benefited from all these things Mm -hmm. and you're you're just going to take it away from the next generation because you don't want to you don't want to pay for it, right? You don't. Mm-hmm. You don't want. You don't want the tax rate that's there. You wanted to pay less, so it's been a a divestment in the public that America has gone through since the eighties. So it's like I, ne- I I was born in the eighties. Like I never stood a chance. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's it's just like it's just so great having like like that experience from like you know past a little bit past like around when I was born and like, you know, when I was in school and stuff like that, it's, it's totally, it's totally awesome. I just want to put that out there. And also we're free flowing on here. So feel free to curse, do whatever, because it's just like me, I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to express how I feel. And hopefully people agree with it. If not, it's all good because I know, right. The geezers aren't going to agree with me because they call me, um, I think it's like Gen X. Or something like that. When in reality, I'm actually I'm actually Gen Z. Yeah, I you're think. Gen Z. You're you're after the millennials. Yeah, but it's hilarious when like older people call me Gen X. I'm like, you think I'm that old? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, really? You think I'm that old? <laughs> oh man, but but yeah, <laughs> but definitely with the housing market um deficit, like one of the biggest changes in my opinion that needs to happen is um more availability and more jobs need to be created in order to boost um you know the production of housing i know i know i know i know magic doesn't happen like that and money doesn't outflow that's bullshit there's always okay notice how there's always money Mm -hmm. for tax cuts there's always money for bailing out rich people who fucked up Right. There's always money for that. So why can't we why can't we have a commitment from the government that they're going to use the money that we entrust them with, which is our our blood, sweat and tears. Right. Take that money and invest it back in us. That's a fair trade. You know, that, 
that, that's that's a that's a perfect trade. That's a perfect trade. I, I will agree entirely with that because it's our money that we pay towards you, and that like segues perfectly because the next topic is this is essentially a question is a fourth stimulus needed um i'll give my answer straight up yes but that'll be it i'm not gonna sit here and ask for free money i mean unless disney you know wants to give me a new laptop come on disney (laughs) yeah it's like that it's like an ice pack right because my thing is the problem with america i'll be i'll be the first to say it right we don't take care of our own because if we did, we would come up with programs not nationwide because I, I am I am pretty sure if I did my research, there are certain states that provide some sort of work for homeless people or like people that um, dropped out of rehab and became homeless. You know, there's multiple scenarios, but I'm pretty sure there are some states that provide some sort of help for homeless people better than New York um, or the tri-state area. But my solution would have been, okay, we're going to provide housing for these people, but not make money, become a nonprofit and do it this way. Yes, I understand there are homeless shelters, but the homeless shelters, I'm pretty sure the homeless shelters are at full capacity, 24-7, 365. I have a coworker that he works in a homeless shelter and he tells me he he sees people go in nonstop. So obviously the housing market um crisis is a lot bigger than what it is on the surface right because that 3.8 million homes i'm pretty sure isn't accounting for the amount of homeless people in the united states no it's crazy like so california has a huge problem right and they've done nothing to that or the government has done nothing to really deal with it like they're talking about like oh let's buy let's buy let's buy empty lots and have like them have their tents there. It's like, is that really like the kind of dignified solution that we need for, for these problems? Like they're not. So at some point we need to stop pledging allegiance to the almighty dollar and be human beings again. Mm-hmm. I, I agree because it's not humane. I mean, look, I don't even believe in keeping a dog outside. <laughs> like if I have a pet, my pet is my child my child will not sleep outside i would never make a human being sleep outside therefore me personally whenever i see a homeless people whenever i see a homeless person i try to give them whatever i have whether it's like a half water bottle granola bar whatever i don't care because i can work to get that back i don't know what that person's going through so i just do my part but and again, in my opinion, I just think America needs to do their part by providing some sort of housing for them, right? And going back to like the housing market, right? 3.8 million homes. I would round that up to probably like 8 million. I know that's a drastic jump, but the homeless problem it, across the United States is bad. Like I've traveled a lot. Um, I've been to Virginia, New York City, New Jersey, Cali, um, Nevada, definitely florida um it's bad it doesn't really matter where i go the the worst i've seen is new york city um and and cali like los angeles to be very very specific now with all that being said the reason why i would round that up to eight million is because there are tons of homeless people with different situations Some of them, you know, they can't live with another person because of different reasons that are completely valid. But 
let's go based off that number, 3.8 million, right? And going off the fact that you said, and it, it is a fact, right? There are big corporations that we lend our money to, aka banks, financial institutions, etc., that they use our money to buy these properties and then sell it right back to us. And here's right, the they pro- use our money to screw us. Let's let's mm-hmm. be let's be in my opinion, respectfully. <laughs> <laughs> but um in my opinion, I do believe a form of stimulus is needed because the more and more I travel to New York and the more and more I look around, there are so many closed businesses. And when I mean a fourth stimulus, I mean a fourth stimulus, not just to people, but to all, um, to individuals as well. And also me, the PPP, the personal private, um, whatever the, the, um, the PPL the pay, paycheck protection. Is that what you, what you're talking about for the businesses or is this a different program? Um, I, I think it is that it's, um, paid something it's, it's like a stimulus for for businesses i forgot what it was that's probably like the biggest problem that i personally have because so much scamming has gone on um that's probably why they're hesitant to do another uh, to do a, to do another stimulus and i understand that entirely um but i just think the american people need one more kick um to do so because it's like look at De- if if you if you look it up right i believe denmark has been giving their people about seven thousand dollars a month every single month you hear that um i I know scandinavia is where it's at (laughs) i know i know we have a few international listeners here but listen 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 i know we don't have anybody from switzerland or anywhere near there or denmark but wow that's all I'm going to say. I can, that's the only thing I can really say because they've been giving their people, and this is the best part. You don't pay taxes on it. That's, 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 that's taking care of your public. Like Ex- that's what it is. A- exactly. You're taking care of your people. You hear that America? You're taking otherwise, care of your people. Like otherwise, and to be clear, I am not a libertarian, but, <laughs> or, or an, or an anarchist, but otherwise, what the fuck is the point of having government? If I'm out here, if I'm if I'm left out here to fend for myself, then why am I paying taxes? I agree. I agree entirely. I am an absolute nothing. I hold no opinion when it comes to this. I'm just Joseph and I am blunt. But you have a very good point. It's just like, why am I sitting here paying taxes for if in emergency situations you just want to like like take um take a dropper out of a bucket and just give me one drop when you have a whole bucket that can supply everyone and, and everything. Um, my, it's going to sound like a conspiracy theory, but my theory is the reason why they're not doing it besides like the scamming of the PP, um, L loans, I think they're called is this, the American government are going to buy, are going to send the big businesses to buy the smaller businesses, um, and gentrify certain areas, um, weed out, certain areas um push away certain people in certain areas again this is just my opinion um this is actually this is pretty much what i have seen since covid um i don't know about your experience but around where i used to live um they bought out the um garages and in a very 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 low income area um affordable i'll be honest i was vip in all those parking lots when i was driving um very low income areas very high need in um additional parking 
and um it was bad parking around there so when they bought them out and not only the not only the parking garages but also personal garages that people in my building used to own they bought out all those garages and i'm like all right something something's going on something's going on they were quiet for a year and then the year right before covid construction started and i'm like what is going on here they're building, I believe, I believe they're condominiums. I I do get condominiums and, and, and co-ops entangled with one another. I do get them confused. But they're building that there, and they're building one affordable housing in the five for, lots. For the, for the tax break. Yeah, exactly. For the tax break and also to avoid um, violating the Equal, um, equal Lending Act. And also, um, the fair. I was. I used to be a bank. Fair housing. Fair yes, housing movie, yes, yeah. yeah. You you would think I would know that. Like I've read these federal and like state laws so many times. I totally forgot about the name of it. But to avoid violating that law, they're building one building out of five. Oh wait, and there's still one parking lot left. So they're building one building out of five to be equal to be affordable housing. And that's huge quotation marks around affordable housing. You want me to tell you how much a studio was there? I can only imagine. Fifteen hundred. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm going to throw it out there. Oh, well, I, these are condos. So you're talking about like uh, buying or, or renting. Renting, not even owning. Uh, renting. Two thousand. All right, you got the price right. Now guess for how many bedrooms. Uh, you said studio. Oh yeah! Wow. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was two thousand one hundred. Um, in the area I used to live in, it was in New York City. Um, yeah, that um, that's absurd. Uh, two thousand one hundred, you could afford to pay two houses in two separate states and pay the property taxes. Not even kidding you. No, yeah, I I remember um when I started realizing. So I rem I went through this because I'm from the Heights. I'm from Washington Heights, which uh rich people realized was pretty convenient. <laughs> they were, mm -hmm. you know, the rent was lower. Um it was only like it's like a 30 minute train ride to Midtown. Uh, apartments are bigger. So I remember um being in college and coming back on breaks and just noticing the demographics of the subway, right? Because like if you lived in Uptown and you took the one train, which was the line that I would take when it was the one nine, um, they got rid of the nine train, you know, you knew like, Oh man, it's packed. But, um, uh, by 96, like 96 is the last place that it's going to be packed. You know, sometimes mm -hmm. they, sometimes maybe it got a, it was still a little bit packed in 125th because of Columbia, but you knew you were good. And then I started coming back from college and going, you know, going out, hanging out and coming back home. And I was like, wait a minute, like, is this, it's still packed. Like I'm wet, I'm pretty high in the, in the, in the one line. And it's, it's really heartbreaking. So then I held on as much as I could. I, I wanted to be in my community. I wanted to stay in my community, but then I realized my community would always be my community, but I was, there was no way I was going to be able to succeed or try to ever even consider um, buying property in New York City. Like when, when I started looking to leave New York City, 
I I used to look and I'm like, man, like it costs a million dollars to buy half a crack house in the Bronx. Uh-huh. Like, like half, half a crack house falling down. Like it was burned down. You used to have like the framing, like was like, you know, like $700,000, $800,000. So, you know, all of it, you, you said, you started by saying it might sound like a conspiracy theory, but honestly, these things are actually happening. It's not a conspiracy. Like I remember realizing, you know, I felt like New York was going to become the kind of city where the workers were going to come in, serve our masters and have to commute out because there was it's not it's not sustainable for a working person to devote so much of their income to housing like I, by any measure, right, have a good, solid job. I make a good living, but there was no I was I was only surviving in New York City because and this is I'm going to go off I'm going to go off on a rant if you will permit me right now because the floor is yours go right ahead this really bothers me right so I see all of our New York representatives like in these discussions about whether there's where there there should be another stimulus whether we should pass more legislation this American families plan and I noticed it and it bothered me with this last round of stimulus. Um, and th- to, this is to say, I am used to not being eligible for shit, right? Like my whole, like <laughs> the last thing I was eligible for was my education, my undergrad education, um, which I was able to get a really good education. Um, and I got a lot of support, right? I got state aid, I got uh, financial aid, all of that, right? That was the last thing that I qualified for. Once I started working, I didn't qualify for shit. Um, but I'm like, I hear all these discussions and they were having that debate. I don't know if you remember like, oh, should we lower the threshold? Should we, or should we uh, put it higher? Is it people who really need it who are gonna get the stimulus? And I'm like, why is nobody from New York people that we put there to represent us explaining or even just just putting it out there that money in New York doesn't go as far as other places <laughs> like 100k 80k in New York City is not the same as anywhere else like you're barely huh. making it you're barely making oh it oh my god that that that's an understatement 100k put it like this guys 100k you can probably buy like at least three trap houses in atlanta right and you'll be able to make your money back right or you could buy two properties in like maybe new jersey Uh, it's a little bit more expensive but you buy two right new york they won't even sniff the same air as you if you're making a hundred thousand they won't even they won't even share like food with you do you make a (laughs) hundred thousand Yo, and that's poor. so so that's that's pre-tax right like that's like that's, that's like your your your, your oh, gross man. your gross yeah. mm-hmm. then you get into new york taxes and Lord. i'm like i don't i don't i don't need you to win the battle right but bring it the fuck up at least at least yep. say hey like i represent people in new york city and this doesn't go as far as you think in new york city I, to be honest it blows my mind i think about the community that i grew up in I think about the community where I work. I work in the South Bronx and I'm like, I don't know how people manage to survive because they are under the poverty level 
and they're living in New York. I don't know how they're making that happen. I don't know when they sleep because they must have two, three jobs. You know, like there's it's just it's not it's not sustainable and it's not fair. It's not fair. And I just want I don't want my representatives to necessarily win the fight, but fight. Say it. Bring it up. Yeah. And first and foremost, BX stand up because born and raised in the South Bronx. I can't I can't sit here and deny that. <laughs> um, work in the South Bronx as well. And I still will work in the South Bronx. So, you know, with all that being said, it's just like, I, I don't know. It's just like, it, it, it's just hard to believe that, you know, I love New York City. Like I said earlier, I'm a city kid at heart, but I don't know if I could live there. I don't know at all. Right. No, I always used to say um, it's an honor and a privilege. You know, I, I'm from the center of the universe. Like I'm from New York City and it's really heartbreaking not to be able to stay where you're from. Like, like it's, it's really heartbreaking to have to leave your community in terms of whether we need a fourth stimulus. I will say that I don't want a fourth stimulus because I don't want something temporary. I think what we need more than a fourth stimulus is legislation that's going to be permanent, that's going to address these issues. Legislation on housing, legislation on the tax code, uh, legislation on a living wage. Like these are things that were emergencies before COVID. So I don't want it to be temporary. I don't want it to be like the CARES Act or like this last package that went by where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is for now because it's an emergency. No, poverty is an emergency. <laughs> poverty yes. is an emergency before yes. COVID and right now it's an emergency. Mm -hmm. And it's not just like, I'm going to circle back a little bit to the housing issue. It's not just like, it's wrong, but this is what people do. They, they, they say, well, the homeless, you know, it's, it's drug addicts. It's, uh, or people with drug dependence, sorry, language matters, everybody, <laughs> people with drug dependence, or it's, um, you know, it's people who made poor choices. That's the American way. Right. But it's like yes. a few years ago, I remember reading something that's like a, like a large percentage of the people that were home insecure in New York City were working people. They were working full time and didn't have a place to live. That's not OK in America. It is yep. not OK that you're working full time or oftentimes more than full time and you can't afford a place to live. Get out of here. Get out of here with the, how much how many fucking super yachts does Jeff Bezos need? How many, like, how much money do these people actually need, right? Like, at some point, it's gluttonous. At some point, it's immoral. At some point, it's immoral accumulating all this wealth at, on the backs of other people. Because my thing is, listen, my thing is, Jeff Bezos, go buy you 10 super yachts. I don't give a shit, right? But then don't come to us and say you can't pay your fucking taxes. Yep. Yep. I, it's just like you look at some of these wealthy people and it's just like, why? Like, like I like it's funny because I've adamantly expressed if I hit the lotto, I'm still working. Um, I sure I'm not. No, because here's the thing. Am I going to be able to afford this lifestyle and its longevity? 
right? Am I going to be able to afford consistent maintenance of this lifestyle? Am I going to buy a $10 million mansion with a yearly um, property tax of like, let's say 300,000, right? Am I going to be able to afford that? Because I'm still going to be here, but that money isn't. So again, even if I were to win the lotto, I wouldn't splurge necessarily. I'd pay off like all my loved ones debts, hit them off with a cool couple mil, say, hey, yeah, do what you want with it. Like, I'm not going to tell you, like, you guys raised me. You guys, like, are family to me at the end of the day. So I got you, you know? But even if I was to be as rich as Jeff Bezos and all this, of course, I'm going to have these luxury things. But if you were to ask me, hey, yeah, would you rather do that or solve problems? I'd rather solve problems because those problems could have been my problems if I took the wrong turn, if I made the wrong decision, or... If I didn't have, you know, the guidance that I do, um, it's, it's, it's sometimes not our decision. Sometimes it's the world's decision and we just have to make the best of it. We have to, you know, deal, we have to deal with the hand that we were given. And another situation where, again, we have to deal with the hand that we are given is the next topic. Do schools need to change or do we need to change with schools? As we all know on previous episodes, we have talked about schooling and I believe either episode one or two. Now, going into this part, I think that we need to change how school is done. Um, I don't think we need to change with school. I think we need to change how the how school is because it's it's not effective for all and you know not all methods are going to be effective for all but as far as i know again i've just jumped into the education field you've been in the education field for many 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 years so you could definitely speak more on this but as far as i know the education structure and field has changed but it's been very minute to very little now these children our babies are walking into this school and the kids that now, <laughs> oh God, the kids now are not the same kids 20 years ago, AKA me, people my age, 25, 26. No, these children are different. They cannot be taught the same things from 20, 30, 40 years ago. I know the, I know the same. You're goes. being generous by saying 20, <laughs> 30, 40 years ago. Like this is the schooling. This is... This is schooling from last from I was going to say last century, but last century was the 90s from two centuries ago. Like this, this, this is the model of education that that we're still operating under. Yeah, I, I was I was going to say eons, but I'm like, all right, that's kind of dry. It, it is. It is eons. It is eons. <laughs> it is eons that it hasn't changed. It's just uh, it's not it's not a mode of education that is aligned with our economy or our social progress. Right. At all. Um, so I have a lot of feelings about this because, you know, I work with very vulnerable populations. I, I, you know, I, I work in really high needs areas and our kids are being are being set up for failure. They're not they're not being, they're not being prepared. Right. And I remember 
um, I didn't decide to be a teacher until late in college. I was pushed to that by my mentor. But before then, I had taken some education courses um, just because I was curious because education was a big part of my life. Education made all the difference in my life. And I remember reading uh, this article now that it's very dated now. This is this is uh, from a while back. I want to say it was the 80s, but I think it still rings true um, that it's called The Hidden Curriculum of Work um, by Anian. And what her thesis is in that article is that kids are being prepared not to advance, which is the American way, not to do better than your parents. All these slogans that we have in America, right? It's none of that. That's all bullshit. They are being prepared to take the role of their parent, right? So if you look at the way uh, kids are educated based on class, right? Based on their neighborhood, um, it is very different. So if you go typically to uh, an urban or, or rural, which we always forget about rural school districts who go through a lot of the same issues as, as urban um, districts. It's a lot of compliance. It's a lot of do this worksheet, follow these directions. We police the hell out of our kids. Um, do this, do it this way, do that, follow my instructions, right? That is the prevalent mode. If you go to like middle class districts, it tends to be a more more of a balance of, yes, follow these directions, um, but also here's some autonomy. So that first just follow directions is like entry level work. Right. This middle this middle class, uh, these middle class districts is more like managerial work. And then you go to elite high schools. Right. And they're they're being taught to be in a boardroom. Like literally their physical space is organized the same way as a boardroom. I remember um, I attended one of these institutions on scholarship, of course, because I was poor as shit growing up. Um, and I remember um, a faculty member, uh, she was more, she wasn't a faculty member. She didn't teach, but she was, she basically was in charge of the diversity program, right? And she was like, you know, no wonder these kids are comfortable in a boardroom. They're comfortable as CEOs. That's what they experience here. Like the classrooms had a round table <laughs> where they sat. It was like a boardroom. So I think that we need to, we need to, if we're really about opportunity, we need we need to teach like that's what we're about because we're not preparing our kids for this new economy. So what our kids, our most vulnerable kids, the only thing that's going to be available to them is the service industry, right? Because our economy has shifted so much that 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 is the new entry level situation, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. So it's just to me, you know, everybody's going to soar as far as they can but let's let's try to even the playing field a little bit and give give people an opportunity to really do you know do better than their parents did i don't think the way our school system is structured keeps that in mind it hurts my heart to even hear that because 
I agree. Right. Um, I had the privilege of going to a private high school for a year. At the time, I'll be honest, I didn't want to go to school. I wanted to be in the Marines. All right. So I didn't take school that serious. I'll be blunt. I'll be extremely blunt. I didn't take school that serious. Um, but the school I went to, I went to Old Hollows High School. It was structured in a way that, again, it felt like a boardroom. Um, mixed in with the class, well, you know, with the classical classroom setting of you know the rows and desks, just formatted differently. Um, a lot of my classes were U shaped. Um, in the sense of like, all right, like it was U shaped from like right to left and the board was on the right hand side and everybody faced that way. And now that you say it, it was kind of like a conference room or a board room, you know, the CEO or whoever's in charge is talking to you and you guys are there to take notes and, you know, hopefully be in, hopefully be in that same situation, but talking to somebody else, you know, um, then, you know, going into the other side of the other side of the fence, um, I was actually, again, fortunate enough to go to a public school that was structured the same way um, in the sense of boardroom style structure, very strict in the sense of like formality, professionalism, presentation and representation. So, you know. That's not, I'll be honest, that's not common. And I'm pretty sure you can agree. That is a non-common. It is, it is not the norm. It is not at all the norm. Yeah, it, it's not. It's, it's not the norm. Um, if you were to walk into 100 schools, I'd say you'd probably find one or two. Um, speaking on behalf of New York, um, I do know we have international listeners um, and other um, listeners from the 50 states. But when um, when we're talking about this, we're talking about um, the structuring of New York schools. I do understand that other states have different structures that are either better or better or way better than um, the structuring here. But in all honesty, something needs to change, whether it's the presentation of curriculum, presentation of classrooms or making it a standard that there is some standard that every classroom has to meet before a child walks in there. And I'm pretty sure there is one. Um, I do know a couple years ago in regards to the curriculum, they are, I mean, they still are <laughs> trying to implement the common core system um, that was tried out, I think in Florida first. And um, it ended up, you know, coming over um, up on the East coast and, you know, I'm not too sure about other schools in like New Jersey, Connecticut, uh, Massachusetts, you know, where our other listeners are, but that's the system that we're teaching here. Now, it is it is a change in curriculum, but when it comes to the style in which we teach it, it has changed twice, in my opinion. Um, once, because we were still adapting to teaching Common Core, and two, COVID. I hate using it as an excuse, but COVID changed the game when it came to just living, breathing, working out, going to school, you know? So this year I'm giving it a break. Um, yeah, this year it doesn't count. Cancel it. It's done. Yeah, it's yeah. over. No, like I am. I also think uh, 
and we're we're actually going to change soon uh, from from Common Core to Next Gen. So that's oh, awesome. More okay. changes. Okay. So I remember it took like four years to even get started with Common Core, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I think <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's why we can't get any traction. Like we just keep changing stuff. But yep. mm-hmm. I think another um, another thing that we need to consider is giving our students choice, right? So like I knew growing up that I wanted to go to college. I knew that. I knew that that's that's where I was headed, not because it was an expectation, although it was, but because I liked school. That is not the case for everybody. I think we need to have intervention so that school doesn't become soul crushing and kill kids' aspirations uh, and love for school. But I also think that we need to not be as reactionary. I was having this conversation with a friend of mine who's also a teacher. And we were talking to our high school friends who went to who are not teachers, who also went to this elite institution. And I was complaining because one of the big things that I that I realized when I moved out of the city is that these little towns have trades. They have trade schools. Right. And we don't have that. I think there might be one left, one or two left in the city um, where a kid can go um, into the trades. And it's like this expectation that we need to it's it's college or bust right mm-hmm. and 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 you won't it's not it's you know it's an offshoot of respectability politics of that this is the only way that you can define success and that is that is not the case there are a lot of trades first of all i believe that any job is dignifying and it it, it doesn't say anything about your character unless you're doing something criminal right mm-hmm. um but we need to give our kids options. I think it was reactionary to sort of close down all these trade schools because it wasn't fair the way people of color were just tracked into that because we didn't want them to go to college. So then the reaction was get rid of them. But a lot of our kids would benefit from that, right? Like we need to give our kids options. I had a, a professor in grad school once say, you know, I I want all my kids to be prepared for college, but I also want them to have other options. And I think we need that's something that we need to consider also because a lot of people of color get shut out of these trades that have really great benefits, really great unions, really great pay. Yep. And our kids get shut out from that. Yep. Yep. It's it it's just like we want them to have a straight line mentality of this is the way, this is the way, this is the way. Hey, yeah, we don't know on which way it's going to go, but this is the way. It's just like, sometimes it's just not meant to be. Sometimes it's just like, all right, little Johnny, um, you might not understand this, but you're going to need this. Um, I'll try teaching it to you in many different ways. Um, but again, like I said before, the kids of now aren't the kids of 20, 30, 40 years ago. Um, and you know, we've adapted as well by offering different, um, different needs departments in, um, coding. We, we, we've decided, you know, I think it's really funny that I feel like, I feel like they decided that the way to solve all these issues is to just offer coding girls code, put coding, make a coding class. It's like, 
But is this really the solution? Absolutely. Our kids should be exposed to coding. They should be exposed to everything. I think that's the point. Yeah. That's how kids decide. That's how human beings decide what they're into. Expose them to a bunch of different things. Work with their interests. Some kids are just gifted with with um with skills that they that are better suited for professions that are that do not require a college degree. I remember having a student um, and I told them you need to be an engineer or, you know, um, a builder or something, because anytime anything was broken or broke or was falling apart in the classroom, he would bring in a tool and he would <laughs> fix it. And that was his jam. Right. And I'm like, you know, you have a mind for this, you know, so it's like, why shouldn't he be exposed to something that goes along with his aptitudes? I don't know. I just feel like what we need to do is give our kids the best possible education in terms of academics, for sure, but also allow them to make their own choices. Like we don't live, you know, my generation gets accused of being snowflakes all the time. We care about our feelings. We care about, I just, I just saw a reporting about like how more millennials have decided to quit their toxic jobs because they're like, Nah, life is short. <laughs> They're calling it the YOLO economy, <laughs> and um, which I think is hilarious. But, you know, like, yes, we came up in an era where it's like our opinions mattered. Right. And now what we're saying is we're not going to let our kids opinions matter. Everybody doesn't want to go to college. And that's OK. That's OK. But we need to get them. We need to expose them. To as much as possible. I think that's that's the change that we need. We have there's so many moving parts right now. There's so many changes. There's so much technology that our, our kids don't have access to be the builders of the of that technology. And I really hope that this jobs plan that Biden put out there really comes through um, and and prepares, you know, that that it's able to prepare our kids, that the, that the schools then also come on board and prepare our kids to take advantage of those opportunities. Yes, I, I agree 100 thousand percent. These children need to be exposed, exposed to more um, learning paths, not just what we teach them. Um, all in all, I genuinely agree with you 100 percent in the sense of like schools need to change, not us change for the schools, but the schools and how we do it and what we teach and how we teach it um, needs to change. Not saying that it's bad now, but I'm saying it could be better just like, and just like anything else in this world. And it needs to be equitable. That's the thing It's like, if it's equitable, it's, it's automatically going to get better because, you know, um, I might, I'm going to say something that might sound controversial to people, but this is always the litmus test that I give when I when I try to fight back against some dumb shit that they're making me try to teach. I'm just like, well, OK, is this how white people are learning? Is this how rich white kids are learning? Because this is not how rich white kids are learning. So why is it good enough for my kids if this is not how the elites are learning? Shouldn't if this is the land of opportunity and opportunity has always been tied to education in American lore, then make it equitable. That's it. We just want a shot, a fair shot. Yeah, we we, we just want a shot. We all want a fair shot. And one of the things that also we also want is the vaccine shot. So the last part, right, is... With almost 60% of the United States of America vaccinated, what's next? 
in this vaccine world. Um, I believe New York um, City or New York State themselves um, lift, um, lifted the masks from certain places. And I, st- I could, be, could be wrong. Could be wrong. The CDC has said more than once, if you are fully vaccinated, you do not need to have a mask on. Do I agree with that? I'm going to have my mask on. Hell fucking no. I don't agree with that shit. What? You telling me? All right. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Because now, now, now I'm going to go off on a little bit of a rant here. You're telling me I can just make a Google Doc, print it out, call it my vaccine card, right? Do a little scribble scrabble, doctor signature or whatever, and say, yeah, man, this is my vaccine card. All right. Yeah. Cool. Good job. Now to wear a mask. Now, let's say I'm a person that actually got vaccinated and I decide to make that decision to not wear a mask. Me and Johnny-O that faked his card are now in the same store. Johnny-O is asymptomatic and has COVID from, I don't know, somebody else that had COVID, obviously. Now, he sneezes. And I fl- obviously I'm gonna flinch because I'm like, oh the fuck! <laughs> like it, it's, we're still in COVID times, right? But now it's airborne, and now yes, I am vaccinated, but I am 95 percent protected, not 100 percent because almost nothing in this world is 100 percent guaranteed besides death. Well, not even, but besides the point, I am 95 percent effective. There's that small five percent that I might get it. But now let's say Johnny O is around me and my family. It could be potentially possible that somebody in my family might be asymptomatic too. And it spreads around like a forest fire. So will I be wearing my mask? Yes. Yes, the fuck I will. Because just because you have a vaccine doesn't mean, doesn't mean don't wear a mask. I'm not saying you you don't have the right to not wear a mask or wear a mask. Do whatever the hell you want. I don't care. You're not my girl. You're not my mother. You're not my family. And you're not my child. But if you want to go outside with a mask, that's cool. I was just running around with kids in almost 90 degree weather with a mask on. Did I complain? No. Um, was I sweating? Yeah, because it was hot. But I kept my mask on at all times. I, I don't know. I think like, I, so I've been, I watched that whole press conference with the CDC. And, you know, I, I, I believe the science. Uh, I do believe what they're saying when they're saying like, oh, even if you get it, like it'll be a, if you're vaccinated and you're asymptomatic and you have it, you'll pass on a low viral load. And if, if somebody passes it to you and they're not vaccinated, but you're vaccinated, you're, you know, you don't, you don't have, like you have a great chance of survival or you're not really going to get super sick. And I understand all of that, but I don't know what the after effects of COVID are, right? Like we don't know for sure what the long-term effects of COVID are. So I'm going to try my best not to get it. I don't (laughs) think, I don't think I ever got it. I never got the antiviral or the, the antibody test because it was super, um, it was super inaccurate. So I don't know if I ever got it. What the, when I did get tested, it was negative. The point is, I don't want to get COVID. 
at all. Low viral load, no symptoms, low symptoms. I don't want it. And my thing is like, all right, you do you. But I'm going to wear my mask like I was never one. I was never one of the people that was a mask police because I was like, well, I have my mask. You do you. You if you want to be a psychopath and not protect other people, go for it. And, you know, I, I know those are harsh words and it might seem hyperbolic. But if you don't give a shit about other people, then you you have narcissistic tendencies. But if, if you feel comfortable as a person who was fully vaccinated, to not wear your mask, go for it. If you are not vaccinated, chances are you weren't wearing your mask regardless before, right? So, you know, I think people are going to have to figure out what their comfort level is. I do think it's it's nearly impossible to try to regulate this. You know, um, I think it'll fall more on private institutions, whether it's a business that decides that they're going to do what they're going to do. And if you don't like it, don't be a part of it. Whether it is that employers are going to put pressure on people to be vaccinated, to be able to work for them. That's a separate issue. It's obviously different for me because I work in a school, which is a government you know, it's government run. So I don't know. We still don't know what what the guidance is going to be on that, particularly now that they've approved. I don't know if they've approved it yet or they're about to do the emergency authorization for the 12 and up. Uh, I hope that they do. Um, I'm going to encourage, you know, the kids in, in my life to, to get it when they're able to get it. I was and to be honest, I was a little bit hesitant of the vaccine. I always knew that I was going to get it, but I wanted more people to get it. Like, I didn't want to get it from jump, right? Like, I didn't want to get it, like, right after the the trials. I wanted to see uh, millions of people get it before me. So I waited a little bit. I got it, I want to say, in March. Uh, March, and then I got my second dose in April. Um, but, yeah, like, people going to do what they're going to do. I, I feel comfortable wearing my mask, uh, indoors. That's that's what I'm going to do. Like everybody's free to do what they're going to do. I think it's interesting to see how it's going to play out, like which which groups are going to make a push. Is it going to be employers? Is it going to be businesses? That's what I'm interested in seeing, like how are they going to navigate it? Yeah, no, I, I entirely agree. And unfortunately, I do believe um that businesses are going to have to abide by whatever state or city they're in, whether or not they agree with it or not. Um, do I believe that businesses should make that decision on their own? Yeah. And they do, but it's like one of those subliminals like, Oh yeah, you have that decision to make it on your own, but um, you know, that grant that you want to build that parking lot, it's going to take a little bit longer. It's all politics. It's all politics. And this is by no means a political podcast, but it's just like, it, it's all politics at the end of the day. Like when it comes to the mass thing, when it comes to businesses abiding by it or not, um, school, uh, federal or state or city buildings abiding by it or not. It's just like, first of all, how are you going to say, and this is the part that I don't understand. How are you going to say it's okay for me to walk into a retail store with no mask? But I can't go to court with no mask. I can't go into city hall without a mask. I can't um, go into a federal building without a mask. You see my point? It's definitely it's definitely bringing 
up a lot of confusion. And something that I've been thinking about recently is that understandably people are like, oh yeah, vaccine, we're ready to move on, right? Like this is this is over. Like this was the the light at the end of the tunnel. We're in the light now. And and I want to, I want to feel that way. But I think we need to address the trauma that we all went through. Like I, you know, I think it's legitimate for pe- so for some people to still feel a little bit unnerved and to want to continue to protect themselves. And it shouldn't be a political issue, right? Masking shouldn't be a political issue. It became that. And like I said, I'm not trying to police anybody. You do you, but leave me alone with my mm-hmm. mask. I have a whole mm-hmm. assortment of masks now and I'm going to keep wearing them. Like, I think that's... That's that's the way it is. Like, did I get upset when we were at the height and people weren't wearing masks? Yes, I was disappointed in people. I was worried for people. I was worried for my loved ones and I was worried for people generally. But I never stepped to someone being judgmental, like, why aren't you wearing your mask? It's like, I guess I'll have to wear my double mask, right? Then they came up with the double mask and I would double mask. So now I just ask for the same courtesy in in return. Let me be, right? And there's this whole narrative now on the right that the left wants to keep this pandemic or the fear of it going. And it's like, you know, for people that preach liberty, like l- let people have the liberty to wear their mask if they want to. I let you not wear your mask for months when it was actually a problem. So I, I think that people people have to decide their own level of, you know, their own threshold for risk. My thresholds for, for risk is very low. So I'll be wearing my mask. Yeah, I'm going to adamantly wear my mask and just call it a day. Um, in this post-vaccine world, um, that's just what's going to happen. Um, I believe that businesses are going to, excuse me, I believe businesses are going to be forced to um, abide by whatever city, state, or federal laws are implemented um, in their local or, or, you know, higher level. It sucks because I do believe, you know, let's say it's like a mom and pop store or even a corporation in some sense. If they want to make a decision, they have the right to do so. But it's like what I said earlier. It's like one of those underlying like, hey, yeah, you could do it. But um, yeah, some funding might get cut or, you know, you might get some backlash, you know. So it's just like it's a double edged sword. But um, I'm it's going to sound crazy, but I'm looking forward to seeing what the hell is going to happen <laughs> because, oh, man, this this 20, 2020 was a year. 2020 was a year that taught me personally I need to be closer to my loved ones. 2020 was a year where I learned a lot about myself. 2020 was a year where I learned enough is enough and I need to take initiative behind some things because working remotely, you know, um, I switched jobs um, and putting myself first um, throughout this entire pandemic really taught me that it's okay to change. It's okay to adapt, right? But make sure that you're first. And if you're first, everything else will fall right into place. During COVID, I went crazy. I went crazy being locked up. 
Yeah, I I agree with you. I think I think there's a there's a lot of soul searching that has gone on during COVID, and I think for me it has taught me that life is fragile, and you need to go after your happiness wholeheartedly, whatever that looks like. Um, just just go for it because you don't know you don't know when you're gonna go. You don't know when you're gonna go, and it really made me re-examine the way I was living my life, sort of on this autopilot, right? Um, and it made me think, you know, it's it's time it's time to take some risks, time to to do some things out of out of my comfort zone, and just live live life because I am blessed. I am here. There, there are over half a million people in the U.S. alone who are not here. The suffering is still going on elsewhere. It's still going on here in terms of economics. I was blessed. I counted my blessings every day. My job is hard, but I counted my blessings that I was not. I didn't lose my job. I was privileged enough to be able to do my job from home. And it, and it made me think like, yeah, I I am super blessed. How do I take the next step? How do go? How do I go after something more? And and I think that's that's also going to be very interesting to see post COVID. I think it woke a lot of people up to a lot of things, and it it ripped a lot of band aids or a lot of things that we wanted to sweep under the rug were just out there. People had time to think about that shit. Like people were home thinking about, wait a minute, like we're getting killed. We're, we're, we're not being supported. Like we're being treated like shit as employees. Like I think a lot of people came to a lot of realizations doing this. And I'm really curious to see like, you know, five years, 10 years from now, how we're going to look back on this moment and what are the things that we'll see that have changed. Yeah, I do. I do agree. And I totally agree with the aspect of, you know, taking a risk, taking that chance and jumping on in and jumping on into a new opportunity. And like me and like you, we jumped into this episode of Conversation Coliseum. I want to thank you again for coming on and being um, one of the special guests. I've thought about you since day one. Um, I appreciate it. It's always fun to talk to you. I love this stuff. Yes, yes. We could be here for hours, hours on end. But, you know, we got we have nine to five, well, eight to threes. <laughs> so, yeah, we have to teach. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we got we got eight to threes that we got to teach. That's like a two and mile bang, bang. But again, I want to thank you so much um, for coming on to this episode of Conversation Coliseum. Um, just one more time, tell the audience about your podcast because I've listened to a bunch of episodes and it's just like, I just nod and I laugh because it's just like, it's so funny that I agree with it and we're years apart experience wise. Yeah, well, thank you for having me again. And so uh, the podcast is Zone of Proximal Development. And this first season has been all about teaching through COVID. I started it um, right before the anniversary, I guess, of COVID. And it's just imagine a teacher's lounge, which we've I've never had. I've been teaching for 14 years and that that's like a blast from the past. But it's essentially a place for teachers to reflect, teachers to vent, 
teachers to try to come up with solutions. So, uh, you know, an audio um, teacher's lounge to unload. So it's a zone of proximal development. And we have episodes on Sundays to ease that Sunday night anxiety. And if you're a teacher, you know what I'm talking about. So we talk about all different kinds of things because ultimately education is at the heart of a lot of these issues. So again, zone of proximal development. Thank you so much for having me. I had a, I had a ton of fun. I love to talk about these issues. I love, um, I love to hear other perspectives and it's, it's amazing to see how much we, we all as human beings have more in common than not. Yes. We have way more in common than what meets the eye. Um, again, like I said earlier, thank you so much for coming on everybody. Um, tune in to tune into our podcast on approximate development. It's on all streaming platforms or all streaming platforms. Gotcha. I just want to make sure I get that check. Mark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tune- all there, all there, all there, everything. Tune in, tune in, um, Sundays, um, any specific time that you got, that you drop episodes? Um, it tends to be before noon. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. That, that's prime time. I like, that's to, prime get, time I like, I like to give myself. I like to give myself a range because we don't know what's <laughs> gonna happen, right? So yeah, no, I hear you. But definitely tune in around prime time on Sundays, about noonish. But if you can't, definitely listen in to any one of her episodes that she has up on all the streaming platforms. Once again, thank you so much for coming on, and thank you guys for listening to today's episode of Conversation Coliseum. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that will be it for today's podcast. Remember, if you'd like to participate, want to submit some questions or submit some topics or want to chime in, have any feedback for us, DM me at my personal Instagram views from Bacon Strip or DM us at conversation two underscores Coliseum. Until then, until the next episode of Conversation Coliseum. You, you, you.